taken a little detour, which really is not the detour, it's the main thing, um, and giving and receiving is actually uh, an offshoot of the main thing, and so it's giving and receiving as it relates to God's ways of being and doing. A couple of things that I just want to remind you of, giving and receiving is not about learning to live with less, it's about learning to trust God. And if you've ever experienced any kind of return or, or uh, benefit from giving and receiving, it's not so much about the money as it is about you learning to trust God more and expressing that trust in Him. Remember, He honors those who honor Him. We said that giving and receiving is not about decreasing financially. It's God's ways of increasing you financially. And then this last one, giving and receiving is not about trying to become something is about operating in agreement with what God already made you. Operating in agreement with what God already made you. So we see in Scripture a lot of instructions about how to live. We could say that the Bible contains God's ways of doing things, and that would be accurate. It's God's wisdom, and remember God's wisdom is about God's results. It's how to do things God's way so that you can experience God's results in your life. The very simple instructions that the Lord gave to Pam and I on the Saturday night before we had our first Sunday as a Heritage Christian Center in June of 98 was to do things God's way and to expect His results. Amen. To do it His way, God's thing, God's way, God's results. A lot of people want to do God's thing, but they want to do it their own way right, and wonder where the results are. So God's thing, God's way, God's results. And that would be an accurate statement that the Word of God contains God's ways of doing things. But what we also see in Scripture, and this is a part that I think is lacking in the body of Christ, is that all of God's ways of doing are based upon, even dependent upon, God's ways of being. God's ways of being. And when we don't understand that, we fall into the trap and deception of the enemy where we are trying to do to become. Remember what the religious leaders asked Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? Religion in the world tells us that you have to do something in order to become something. But God's ways of being and doing are different from that. God knows that you can never do consistently in a way opposed to who you are, what you be. For much of my early Christian life, I was told just about every Sunday that I was a sinner and I better come to the altar and ask God to forgive me and then get on out of here and do better. In, in essence, I was being told to live in contradiction to who I be. I was told I was a sinner that needed to straighten up and, and do right. Your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't true. So Jesus knew that in order for us to live righteously in this present evil age, he must first make us righteous. 
in order for us to live free from sin in a world that's becoming darker and more sinful every day. He must first make us free from sin. In order for us to live a life of financial prosperity in a world that's up and down and its economy is all over the map, he must first make us rich. Because he knows what we need to understand is that if we be right, we can do right. If we be free, we can live free. If we be rich, then we can live wealthy and financially prosperous. When you try to put the doing ahead of the being, it inevitably becomes you trying to make yourself right by doing right. You trying to make yourself free by staying free and living free. You trying to make yourself rich by whatever people do on planet earth to try to make themselves rich. Most of the time when people try to make themselves rich, it leads to selfishness and stinginess and, and opposed to God's ways of living, which are generous, right? We're to be generous people. Well, you will never be comfortable being generous until you understand that God's made you rich. Amen. Some of you are looking at me strange here. Don't just stay with me. Let me, let me read a couple of things here. When is the last time you had a conversation about your being? When is the last time you even considered your being? The devil wants you to do, act, behave without any consideration of who you are or who you be. He wants you to continue to believe the lie that what you do determines who you be instead of the truth, which is who you are, who you be, determines and provides the wherewithal for what you do or what you can do. Think for a moment about how obsessed we are with doing I think about all the ways our words and conversations revolve around doing. What are you going to do today after church? Man, I've got so much to do. When are you going to get that done? I've got more to do than I've got hours to get it done in. How does she do that? I don't know what I'm going to do. No one's ever done that before. What are you going to do tomorrow? What do you want to do? What do you have to do? What are you willing to do? Think about it. Are you, are you with me this morning? So much of, of, of our lives, our focus, our attention, our thoughts, our conversations, because what's in the abundance of the heart comes out of the mouth. So we, we talk about, we think in terms of what we're going to do. How are you going to fix that? How are you going to change that? What are you going to do about that? I'm not saying that's wrong, but when we put the focus on doing in absence and exclusion of our being, we're already at a disadvantage from the get-go. How many times in your life have you thought or said, I don't know what to do? I I don't know what to do. Man, I don't, I don't know what to do about that. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. We say that about financial issues. We say that about family issues. We say that about employment issues. We say that about health issues. We say that, you know, we, we, we're faced with situations and we're going, you know what, man, I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, listen to me. As a born-again believer, 
the answers you are looking for originate in your being. Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In your innermost being is the spirit of truth who will lead you and guide you into all truth and will even show you things to come. When we say, I don't know what I'm going to do, it's a clear indication that we have not considered our being. We are not focused on our being, but we have skipped over that part and are looking only to our doing. We must become more being-minded. I want to say that about 17 more times. We must become more being-minded. We think and talk so much about our doing while giving little to no consideration about our being. Sadly, when we do think of our being, it's mostly in the wrong context. In other words, when we do think about our being, we think about what we can do to be something that we think we're not. What can I do to get well? What can I do to get free? What can I do to be right? What can I do to make myself right? What can I do to fix this? What can I do to change this? What can I do to have that? What can I do? Do, 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 right? It's all about what we do in order to become. So anytime we think about our being, it's in the wrong context in the, in the sense that we're considering our being in light of what we can do to change it. All of this goes back to a theme that we've been focused on now for the last few weeks. And it's the grace of God. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He he goes on to say that he had labored more and, and worked harder and done more than any of the other apostles. He wasn't bragging, he's just putting it out there. Again, inspired by the Holy Spirit to say it. Why would, is Paul beating his chest? No, he's, he's saying something for you and me by the Holy Spirit so that we can benefit from it all these many years later. Paul understood his being. It was this deep understanding of who he was in Christ that then motivated him to do all the things that he did for Christ. He wasn't doing everything that he did to try to make up for the mistakes that he made. He wasn't doing everything that he did to try to hopefully one day make himself right enough with God to be led into heaven. He said, I say before God and do not lie, I have wronged no man. Well, I bet some of those early Christians that he had executed, would, their families at least would beg to differ. No, the only way a man can say that with confidence and boldness by the Holy Spirit is someone who understood who he was now, who he became the day he became a new creation in Christ Jesus. That the man who held the coat so they could throw the rocks harder at Stephen, uh, that man didn't exist anymore. That man was buried with Christ and a new man was raised up with Christ. Paul understood who he was. 
And it was this understanding of who he was and the understanding of the love that God had for him. Because when he began to realize how much God loved him, 2 Corinthians 5, the more he began to understand how much God loved him, he realized, you know what, Shazam? God loves everybody this much. He loves Jew, Gentile, Greek. He loves everybody as much as he loves me. He wants for everybody what he wants for me. These were the things that motivated him. An understanding of who he was in Christ and an understanding of the love that, that put him in the position that he was in to be who he was. And that's what motivated him to do what he did. This is so important. We get the being ahead of the doing and it puts the doing in the wrong context. Let me ask you a simple question. Is Father interested in your motivations? Is he, is he interested in your... In, let me say it another way. Is he interested in your intentions? Or, or let me say it another way. Is God, does God only care about what you do or is, or is he interested in why you do what you do? He's interested in the why. There are a lot of people who do a lot of good things, but it's meaningless to Father. Because they're doing it with the wrong heart. They're doing it with the wrong motivation. It was in Jesus' first sermon. Not when you give, but if. Not when you pray, but if. Not when you fast, but if. But, he, but, but what was he telling us there? He was telling us that if we don't do it with the right heart, if we don't do it with the right intentions, if we don't have the right motivation behind our giving, our praying, and our fasting, whatever benefit we got from it in the moment is the only reward we're going to receive from that. Isaiah begins that great prophetic book in the Old Testament. If you be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. If God was only interested in what you do and not why you do it, He would have just simply said, if you're obedient, you'll have the best. He didn't say if you're obedient, you'll have the best. He said if you're willing and obedient. Because there are a lot of people who are obedient, but their hearts are somewhere else. How many people be in church all across the nation this morning who would rather be on the golf course, who would rather be in a bass boat, who would rather be at home in bed? But you know, I mean, we gotta, if we're going to be good Christians, we've got to go to church. If we're going to ho- have any hope of making it to heaven one day, we've we got to at least go to church a couple times a month. See, they're, they're trying to do something to be something God's already made them, and they're ignorant of that. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God but having a zeal for God, they don't submit to the order of God and they try to do to become instead of realizing that God has made them something they could never make themselves. And now let's do in light of who He made us. Let's, let's, let's respond with our actions based upon who we be in Christ as opposed to doing things for God to hopefully make ourselves acceptable, make ourselves loved, make ourselves approved of. The Bible does not say study to be approved by God. It says study to show yourself approved. Meaning what? Meaning God's already approved of you. He's wanting you to learn so that the approval He already has placed upon your life, the stamp of approval that He's already placed upon your life, the seal of the Holy Ghost that He's already placed upon your life will be evident to all. I'm going to ask you again, how many times have you thought or said, I don't know what to do? You do know what to do. 
because of who you are in Christ, because of whose you are, because of who lives in you, you will never, ever face a situation in this life or the life to come that you don't know what to do. When you find yourself in a listen to me, I'm going to say this very carefully, okay, so you make sure you get it right. The next time you find yourself in a situation that you think you don't know what to do, it's time to stop and remind yourself, hold on a second. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, then that means I know how to do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If I can do, then that means I already know what to do. Are you seeing this? Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is one of our key texts for our current study. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I like this word become, because become simply means come to be. It's a being word, become, come to be. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 9 sounds a, a whole lot like and similar to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he made him, Father God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might come to be the righteousness of God in him. Now, in both of these verses, it's stated clearly in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Knowing grace is a prerequisite for understanding this passage. Meaning, if you don't understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will never understand these truths, much less experience and enjoy the benefits of what he's saying here. This is the great exchange. And if we get that far this morning, what we'll ultimately see is that the sin that Jesus become became for you and me so that we could become his righteousness is one part of what would be considered an umbrella of the curse. He suffered in his physical body so that by his stripes we were healed. He suffered poverty even though he was rich so that we could become rich. And he, again, became your sin so that you could know, you could be free from sin, no longer a slave to sin. So, when, so then we also see that he became a curse. In other words... Sin, slave to sin, poverty, sickness, all of these things are subsets of the, of the greater picture, which is the curse. They're, every one of these things are experienced by human beings on planet earth because of the curse, because of the sin that Adam committed. 
So we even see that Jesus became a curse for you. So the blessing of Abraham might now be yours. Brother Copeland says it this way, and it's, it's one of the simplest, again, but most brilliant things. We think in terms of we're blessed because of. Man, I got a raise. I'm blessed. No, you didn't get the, you, you didn't get the, you're, you're not blessed because you got the raise. You got the raise because you're blessed. Man, I, I received my healing. I'm so blessed. Again, we got to understand that we're not blessed because we're healed. We're healed because we're blessed. Do you see the difference here? The being. The being. So we began this series on giving and receiving to teach you God's ways of experiencing wealth and living in prosperity. But before God's ways of doing will ever make sense to you and produce results in your life, you must first understand His ways of being. In the same way you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you have been made rich. In the same way that you've been made free from sin, you've been made rich. In the same way that you've been made the healed of the Lord, you've been made rich. Poverty is a part of the curse, just like sin is a part of the curse, just like slavery to sin is a part of the curse, just like sickness is a part of the curse. Now, we, we have for years now here at Heritage, and we cycle back around to it over and over again, and then in discipleship class, we may spend four or five hours on righteousness by faith and what it means to be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and one of the things that Brother Copeland said during the conference, he said it might help you if, if instead of saying been made, if you take that word made out and put manufactured. You've been manufactured the righteousness of God. You, you went through a new birth manufacturing process and you came out the end of that something that you were not before. He made you something. He manufactured you into something you were not before. You've been made the righteousness of God. And this, this is one of those keystone uh, teachings, one of those keystone cornerstone doctrines that are so critical for our growth and development. And those as, as long as we think our righteousness is based upon our own behavior, we're going to languish in a vicious cycle of, of sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. The day you realize you're as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself because you were given that, made that by, by grace, not because you earned it or deserved it or been good enough, long enough to, to, to be crowned that, but that He crowned you with an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness so that you can rule and reign in life. When you realize that it's not of your works, but, 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 but what Jesus did for you, not based upon what you've done, for God, but what God's done for you. See, that's if you can ever get to that point in your understanding, man, you will grow and grow and grow. But here's the reality of it. Righteousness is not the only thing He's made you. Amen. 
And among the list is he has made you rich. How much money is a man or woman got to have in order to believe they're rich? Anybody remember the answer to that question? Believing you're rich has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. There are a lot of people who have a lot of money. They're not rich. They're not rich. Some of the most miserable people who've ever lived on planet Earth are people who've had so much money, more money than they can spend in five lifetimes. Why are they so miserable? Because they realize what a lot of folks haven't come to the understanding of yet, and that is money will not satisfy you. So now they've got billions of dollars and they're still miserable. The, Bible's, the Bible speaks of our outward man and our inward man. The outward part of you and the inward part of you. Amen? But the inward part of you the Bible has another term to distinguish the difference between your soul and your spirit. And the inward part of you, also known as your heart, which is your soul and your spirit, your heart, your cardia, is the, is the combination of your soul and your spirit. But this, this expression we see in both the Old Testament and then in some translations of the, of the New Testament, this innermost being. Man, I want, I want to say that about 17 times because I, I want you to start thinking in terms of your innermost being. You've got the outward man, the inward man, but then the inward man has something deeper still, your innermost being. Sometimes we try to communicate this because... Because we, we intuitively, innately understand that we have an innermost being. And so sometimes to try to communicate it, we will use the expression, the depths of my soul. Well, it's deeper than even the deepest part of your soul. Your innermost being. Sometimes we say the depth of my being. Now you're getting closer. Your innermost being. That's the part of you that was born again. Your entire inward man was not born again. Your spirit, your innermost being was made completely new. Was made just as right with God as Jesus. Was made just as free from sin as Jesus. Was made just as well and whole and healed in body as Jesus. And he has a glorified body this morning. Was made just as rich and wealthy and in abundance as Jesus. The Bible has a lot to say about it. A lot to say about it. That's your being. Your innermost being is your being. Amen. The problems Jesus came to solve for us went deeper than our behavior. That's your outward man. That's where we behave. And even deeper than our thinking. That's your first 
level of your inward man, your soul. So you've got your outward man, inward man, innermost being. Have been saved, are being saved, will be saved. Amen? Have been made free. If the Son makes you free, innermost being, you shall be free in your performed action. The problems Jesus came to solve for us went deeper than our behavior and they went deeper than our thinking. We had a being problem. And the only way to change a person's being is to figure out a way for them to die and be raised up something different than they were before. And that is salvation, my friend. We died with Jesus, nevertheless we live. Because we were raised up together with him to newness of life. I have felt strongly compelled this morning um, to do what I'm about to do. And I I know my mother well enough and and, um, maybe at some point we'll hear from her on all this. My mother was born again when she was a little girl, but she met the Lord in 1978. When I say met him, I mean like met him, met him, like face-to-face met him. And one of the nagging questions in her heart and life had been, there's got to be more to living for you than what I know. And the Lord told her face-to-face, you're absolutely right. You've got to get your family to a church that preaches and teaches the fullness of my spirit. I told her other things, but that was one of the key and I, I guess most noticeable changes, at least in my world, right, was that we left the denominational church that we were in that preached against the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church that, you know, full of the Holy Spirit. There were other things that took place in that encounter with my mother. Again, that's her story to tell, as is a lot of what I'm going to tell you this morning. Some people have criticized this church even because of something personal that my mother committed to in 1978, and that was that Jesus was not just her Savior, not just her Lord, but that he was her healer. And because of that, she refused to take medicine. Not because she thinks people who take medicine are weak or don't have faith. It's just It was something personal with her. And she rarely, if ever, even talked about that. But you know how you tell somebody and they tell other people and next thing you know, them folks down at Heritage believe if you take medicine you're going to hell. Nobody's ever said that. <laughs> Nobody believes that. Nobody thinks that. It's just the devil trying to discredit and undermine In February of last year, my mother was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. I, I've said it this way. This is the way the Lord told me to say it when, when people ask when we communicated. I, I simply said, my mother was presented with. You realize you don't have to receive everything you're presented with, right? Amen. 
she was presented with. What I'm about to say, very few people have ever heard, but in, a, in addition to the cancer they said she had in her breast, they also said she had cancer in her lungs, her spine, and her brain. The prognosis was pretty grim. <clears throat> there was a team of doctors that were assembled, and many of them are born-again believers. The Lord knew what and who my mother needed. And on that team of doctors, there was both a radiation oncologist who specializes in brain neurologists, as well as a brain surgeon, Dr. Samuel Markham, he could preach in his church. If you want. I mean, when I say he prayed with my mother, he didn't just like, Lord, your will be done, whatever. You know, no, I mean, he prayed. My mom had shared some of the things that God had done in her life and just encouraging herself and encouraging him and shared some of the testimonies of, of, of miracles that we've seen in our family. And the next time we went to see Dr. Markram, he brought a resident in with him with tears in his eyes, glassy eyes. He says, tell him what you told me about, right? He wanted my mother to share some of those same testimonies. That's the kind of doctor that he is. But we also had this surgeon, right? Because they're thinking at some point my mother may need brain surgery. Now, we've never, we've never said this. Matter of fact, my dad probably get on to me after this because he won't even let us say brain. You have to say head. Amen. Amen. Well, as things have rolled along, you know, they, they want to check mom periodically. And um, four months ago, they checked her brain. And they were a little concerned about some places that they seen because it seemed like they were getting bigger. And, of course, we... Because, see, what, how does this fit in with a sermon? She'd be healed before she ever was diagnosed. Innermost being. Innermost being. Right? Where, where, where do they say the cancer is? This is this outward man part, right? <laughs> Trying to affect. Every time they would... Matter of fact, even when they first presented her with a diagnosis, they were asking her how she was dealing with the headache. She said, I don't have a headache. Follow my hand. Can you see? They were just in awe that she was not in agonizing pain with headaches and she could see straight and all this other stuff because of the cancer that they saw and said that she saw. And I saw it, you know, on the scopes and scans and all that in her brain. Anyway, so in... All through all this, right, um, even when she almost went home to be with Jesus right before John Mark's wedding in May, some of you know that, some of you don't, um, it, it had really gotten, she couldn't breathe and just, you know, I mean, how many of you remember when she used to almost drag in here on a, <laughs> a, a walker, you know, I looked down the hall this morning, I saw her standing in the aisle down here talking to folks, her curly, as dad says, her new charcoal hair, right? 
so <clears throat> we, they did the MRI. We met with the surgeon. She's a non-alarmist. She's real, you know, we're not going to need jerk reaction here. We're just going to keep an eye on this. And then we met with Dr. Markham, and he looked at it, and he says, yeah, you know, I see what you're seeing. I see what everybody else is seeing. But he looked at my mother, tears in his eyes. He says, I believe there is no active cancer in your brain. That's exactly what he said. And I said, you know what? We believe, we've already believed that, and we just believe that with you. Amen. So we went back the Friday before um, last for another MRI. And this time, the place that they were looking at, it, it looked even bigger. Her, met with the surgeon again. The surgeon looks at it, and she says, Miss Winslet, I know that some people will be concerned about this. She says, we'll wait to hear what Dr. Markham says, but I believe that tumor in your brain is caving in on itself and dying. Yes, exactly what he said. What he said. And of course, you know I wouldn't be telling the story. Matt carried her. I was out of town. Carried her Wednesday. Not only did Dr. Markham confirm that that's what's happening, he even said, "Miss Winslet, if you want to stop coming to see me, you can." She said, "Well, why would I want to do that, Dr. Markham? You're my favorite doctor." He said, "Well, <laughs> Amen." innermost being. See, what's true in your innermost being right now will be true in your innermost being a thousand years from now. It's eternal. What may be going on in your outward body right now is temporary. It's temporary. We know this because we love to say, this too shall pass, right? What's true about who you be in your innermost being has the ability to change what's going on in your outward, not just in your outward body around you, What are you going to do about that diagnosis? What are you going to do about that debt? What are you going to do about that rebellious child? What are you going to do about your substance abuse issue? What are you going to do about your employment? What are you going to do about your finances? What are you going to do? See, the devil wants us to jump straight to what we're going to do without ever considering who we be. See, when you know who you be, when you know who you be, you look an oncologist in the face and you say, listen, I, I appreciate you and I appreciate what you do and in anything you can do to help me, but I'm already healed. Jesus is my healer. And by his stripes I was healed and I'm healed. Amen. Because the righteous 
are as bold as a lion. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's doing. Amen. Amen. When my mother was first presented with this diagnosis, the um, it's complicated, but just let me see if I can help you with it this way, all right? The uh, protein, I think it is in her blood, the normal levels that measure the cancer cells, in normal is 31 or below. Hers was 468 when she was first presented with a diagnosis in February. December, that number was 57. 57. Amen. 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 The devil tries to overwhelm you with information and worry and all this other stuff because he's trying to get you to forget who you are. He's trying to get you so overwhelmed with circumstances, things that stand around you in a circle, right? And you go so occupied with those things that you forget that you are the healed of the Lord. You forget that everything you put your hand to prospers, that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. I want you to commit to something this morning with the Lord's help that you'll consult who you be before you commit to a course of action before you act or do are you hearing me it's very simple but it's life changing very simple but it's life see we panic when you know when you know who you are you will not panic When you know who, who He made you to be, you'll no longer be doing things trying to make yourself something. Man, what am I going to do to get healed? What am I going to do to pay this bill? What am I going to do? Are you kidding me? Now, are there some things we need to do? Yes. God has all kinds of things for us to do in faith, according to His Word. Where the devil steals from so many people is we think we're tr- we have to do this in order to be that. No. We're not doing this to be that. We're doing this because we are that. Amen. Amen. Fathers, we stand before you this morning. I just give you thanks, Father, for who we are and who you made us to be. I thank you, Father, that we're healed. Our innermost being is rich and free and righteous, Father. And Lord, you're teaching us how to live from that place of being Lord, that that innermost part where life springs forth from, the life of your Spirit. 
Lord, you said from our innermost being would flow rivers of living water, Father. Lord, from our innermost being spring forth the issues of life, Father. Anything and everything that has to do with life and living springing forth from the innermost being, Father, where you completely and radically and totally transformed us and remanufactured us in Christ Jesus, making us right before you, making us whole and free before you, making us wealthy and wise before you, Lord. Father, forgive us for all the times that we've responded to situations and we've done things in response to diagnosis and and issues and problems and circumstances without first considering and reminding ourselves and remembering, according to the Word of God, who we are and who you made us to be as it relates to that situation, that circumstance, or that diagnosis. Father, we purpose with your help and with the, with the inspiration and the, and the leading of the Holy Spirit that we will never, ever again do to be. but we will do what we do by faith and response to your word and your wisdom and to your ways based upon who we be and who we are and who you made us to be. We don't serve you to be loved, Father. We serve you because we are. We're not trying to become your children. You've made us your children. We're not trying to get you to approve of us or to love us or to accept us. You've already approved of us. You've already accepted us. You love us with an unspeakable, unconditional, eternal love. We find rest in that. We find rest in that. And according to 1 John chapter 3, Father, it's that knowing, it's that understanding, it's that confidence that motivates us to purify our lives even as Jesus is pure. To get the garbage out because it doesn't fit with our innermost being anymore. Now, Father... You are leading us to a very bold and important teaching. And that is, we are, look at me for a minute. Everybody should look at me for a minute. You are just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus is this morning. Amen? And in that same vein, this is a big statement now. Don't choke on it. It's a big statement, okay? Right now, right now, you are among the richest people who have ever lived on planet Earth. You are richer than your wildest imaginations. When Jesus was born physically, you had kings who traveled thousands of miles. They didn't tip him. They gave him wealth. Listen to me now. At his physical birth, they gave him an endowment, is the word the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit. In other words, Joseph could have invested it and the whole family could have lived off the interest. An endowment 
everything he would ever need to live the life God created him to live, to fulfill the assignment God put him on this earth to fulfill. Listen to me now. To help whoever he needed to help, to do whatever he needed. It was given to him at his birth, everything he would ever need for his life and his godliness was given to him at his physical birth. At your new birth, you were given all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have already been given everything that you will ever need to fulfill your purpose on this earth, to do everything God's created you to do, to bless everybody He's called you to bless, to help everybody He's called you to help, to pioneer any work He's called you to pioneer, to finance any ministry effort that He's called you to finance. He's al- it's already yours. You're as rich as any human being, including Jesus, who's ever lived on this earth right now. It's who you be. Heard something this week that changed. That it, when I say life changing, and I, I know it's past time, but I appreciate your patience. Some of you are familiar with Jeremy Pearson's. This is uh, Brother Copeland's grandson. He's one, he's one of my favorites. I don't know, just something about him. And this wasn't really the theme of the sermon, but, but he, he said it, and I think he said it for me. I know he said it for a lot of people. This is what he said. Listen to this, Matt. He said, he said, a rich man will spend money to save time. A poor man will spend time to save money. I was like, Pam, help me up off the floor, baby. Just knock me down. See, we've got to believe we are, then we've got to learn how to think like a rich man. We've got to learn how to think like one. Oh, my Jesus, how much time have I spent over the years trying to save a dollar? I need to say it again. A rich man will spend money to save time because he realizes time. See, time, is, you can't buy time. Time is, is irreplaceable, Right? Rich man says, you know, I'll, I'll spend some money to save some time. Poor man says, oh, I'll spend some time to save some money. I think I was praying. Well, now, Father, you're so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we're not sick people trying to get healed. We're not sick people trying to figure out what we can do. What can I do to get healed? What can I do to get healed? We're healed. We're the healed, learning how to walk in healing. We're rich, learning how to walk in wealth. We're, we're righteous, learning how to live righteously. We're, we're people at rest, learning how to, to find and discover rest. Lord, we oh, sweet Jesus, thank you, Lord. Father, help us have some conversations about our being. We talk so much about what we got to do, what we need to do, what we're going to do. Let's talk about who we be. Remind ourselves, renew our minds, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you got something out of this this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Know that you're loved. Know that, that God has great things in store for you this week.